Alrighty, let's get into the meat of this episode. But before we begin, I'm going to say that I'm going to be taking the topics that we cover on the meat section of the episode, uh, the three, three or four or so topics that we cover during the meet, I'm going to be taking them and I'll be releasing them separately, like individually over the course of the week so that in the event that other people who don't have the time to sit through an hour long podcast, and I know some of that, that might include some of you, you'll be able to chew it up, you know, piece by piece instead of trying to find your spot in this hour and a half to two hour long podcast and sometimes longer when we do special episodes. So I'm going to be doing that. So after this episode drops, I'm going to have the meat sections of the episode. Is this the counteroffensive? I believe that's the one that's going to go up first. Then we're going to drop the sections from the meat of the counteroffensive, the Ukrainian counteroffensive. And then we'll have this episode's meat sections, the topics it says it feels weird saying meat sections, but I'll have this episode's topics released piecemeal uh, after that. So expect that. Uh, so if it, it looks a bit funny on your end to suddenly go from getting one video, well, one episode a week to suddenly having like 15, uh, that's why. So that's what we're going to be doing from now on. And yes, yes, but we'll still be doing our regularly scheduled programs every Monday. But with that said, Let's get into the meat of this episode. We have Blinken visiting China. Now, I read this article from the Associated Press covering the trip that Blinken took to China. Now, I'll still hold this over his head. He should have gone back in February with the whole balloon fiasco, that whole nonsense. Uh, If only to discuss the hot topic of a Chinese balloon flying over American airspace, to discuss that with the people potentially responsible, you know, the, the Chinese. I mean, it's a Chinese balloon. You're, you're not going to bring this up with the Chinese. You're just going to cancel the trip. Uh, I'll still hold that over his head, right? I'll preface that. And while I don't have <clears throat> the the best of uh, opinions regarding all Blinken here, I have to give credit where credit's due. And I'll give it in a minute, but I have to give the context because in the article that I read, and this is from the uh, Associated Press, it's a it read quote, and this is sort of a, a a segment of the article which I felt really summarized the trip up until a certain point, and I'll get into that point. But it says, "quote In the first round of talks on Sunday, Blinken met, and he met with Ching Gang. Uh, he met for nearly six hours with Chinese Foreign Minister Ching Gang, after which both countries said." that they had agreed to continue high-level discussions. However, there was no sign that any of the most fractious issues between them were closer to resolution, end quote. So basically nothing happened uh, during the first day of the summit, and they barely got any, they barely made any ground, any headway on the issues that matter. Uh, Trade, Taiwan, the big one, intellectual property theft... And then the, those are the real ones that matter, you know, that and sovereignty, you know, don't violate our sovereignty, we don't violate your sovereignty, and issues of deep demilitarization in the Western Pacific. Those are the, the key issues. Uh, now, whether or not 
other people will list those as the key issues is another thing but those are the key issues and i'm speaking from a from a realist standpoint now just go ahead and slap that label under myself those are the key issues because if you can deal with those issues you really don't have problems with china but of course you have all the extra problems of, oh human rights abuses oh democracy oh oh this that and the third oh uh, hong kong the uyghurs and uh, abuses in china itself as if you were going to be able to police the chinese on that those are a whole bunch of extra things that are thrown in that really get in the way of actual real discussions on real policy and i'll just you know throw that shade exactly where it belongs but i was going to take that quote that i just read to you about them meeting for six hours and not getting anything discussed or well they discussed but not getting anything done other than agreeing to more high level discussions i was going to take that and run with it to sort of lay out the problem with modern u.s so-called diplomacy uh which is it's all talk and no substance you talk, you you lay out, you try to lecture the other side about how oh you human rights abuses, oh uh, uh, freedom freedom of the press, democracy, oh democratic institutions, blah blah uh, corruption, and then you don't actually discuss ways of solving that, as if those were things that needed to be solved. Again, you go into diplomacy on the assumption that you that the other side has to be exactly like you. That's one of the main problems with modern quote-unquote diplomacy the other problem is again as i alluded to that it's all talk and no substance because you'll sit there and talk about these non-issues because you do not need the other side to share literally all of your values you don't need the other side to have an, the exact same governance type as you to do business to do trade and to get things done you can have agreements with countries who have radically different governing systems than you if you're willing to focus on the tangibles the tangibles i'm gonna do x and then when i do x you do y and if you don't do y then we're not going to continue the talks that's how you conduct diplomacy you do it at a step by step uh, it's, a, it's a ladder except you have one hand the other side has the other hand you reach first if you're going to reach out to another country you have to be the one to make the first step you have to be the one to say okay here's our deal we're going to do x and you don't have to go way out there and say we're going to build a, a thousand miles of high-speed rail in china and then the chinese are going to do this that and third you can go okay we're going to pull back from this specific region say we're we're gonna we're gonna stop sending destroyers through the taiwan straits right we're going to stop doing that. And in exchange, you stop flying planes into Taiwan's air defense identification zone. You do the first step. And then if the Chinese do the next step, now you can move on to other things. Okay, we're going to stop sailing carrier battle groups through the South China Sea. You stop building artificial islands in the South China Sea. And you stop sailing ships through the South China Sea, military ships. So you do the first step, and then if they do the second step, then you go on. We're going to stop doing elephant walks on Guam if you'll stop <laughs> if you'll stop antagonizing Japan over their islands in the East China Sea. Oh, okay, we do that. You stop doing that. Okay, cool. Now we're going to move our military bases out of this region, 
And in exchange, you remove your military bases from those artificial islands. We got you to stop building new ones. We got you to stop sailing your ships there. But now we're going to move our military bases out of the region. You move your military bases out of the South China Sea. It, one at a time, one step at a time. Tangible actions that you can see. And so it's trust but verify. We're going to do this and you do that. We're going to do it. We're going to do our thing first, right? We trust that you're going to do that but you have to do your end of the deal before we move on to the next one. We're not gonna do anything else after we do this. If you don't do, we're, we're gonna do X and you do Y. If we don't do X, you don't have to do Y. But if we do X and you don't do Y, we're not gonna move on to Z, right? It's very simple. It's It's been done for the thousands of years. I don't know how it's suddenly been lost on these experts, these people who think they know something. It, you do step by step easy to verify things and then you work your way up to the big complex and comprehensive deals that are a bit harder to negotiate and verify but by the time you get to that point there is a level of trust that you establish through actions by establishing that when you say you're going to do something you do it and the other side if they reciprocate now you can trust that they're going to do what they say and they can trust that you're going to do what you say and if you're the one reaching out you have to be the one to make the first step it's it's not complicated it's, i just broke this down to you now uh, perhaps i'll actually for once use the question feature at the end of the episode even though most of you don't watch this on anchor but now that i've broken this down for you look at all the 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 quote-unquote diplomacy we've been seeing for the past few decades how many of that has been based on these basic ass tenets of simple actions that you can verify followed by the next set of simple actions that you can verify how many i i'm waiting what who else who else has been doing this who else has been talking about this quite frankly um where where have we seen it we haven't seen it at all in such a long time that I don't think a lot of people in our country and or even in the West understand how real diplomacy works anymore. We have all these these posers, these fakers who hated Trump, even though Trump understood diplomacy. He understood that if you say something that you, if you say that you're going to do something, you have to do it. And if you're not going to do something, don't say that you're going to do it. You see him deliberately avoiding saying things when you watch his interviews. He'll deliberately avoid saying certain things because if you say you're going to do something, you have to be ready to do it. Oh, oh is Putin a, a war criminal? Well, I can't say that because if I say that he's a war criminal, I have to treat him like a war criminal. And that means I can't make peace. You understand? And he, it's, oh my goodness, it's, it's so simple. Yet uh, you watch these people who will sit up there and lecture other countries day and night as if they were better. And then you, the, they don't know anything. They don't know anything. They, they haven't accomplished anything in their entire careers. Like, say what you will about Kissinger, Henry Kissinger. Say what you will about him. Terrible person. Uh, instituted, the, facilitated the creation of a very terrible international system that facilitated U.S. empire and the growth of U.S. empire in places that we really didn't need to be in. But at the very least, he knew diplomacy. 
at the very least, he knew that if you want to get X, get this country to do something, you have to do something for them first. You're the one reaching out. You have to take the initiative. You have to take the initiative. And you get to today where it's, oh, we're going to go over there. We're going to have talks and we're going to we're going to lay out all the issues that we already know are issues. But then we're going to lay out zero solutions. We're going to lay out uh, no framework, no pathway that you can you know, no actionable way of achieving any of the potential solution to the problems. We're just going to say that we need a solution. We're going to talk about the need for a solution, but we're not going to actually put forth any proposals. We're not going to put forth any action plans, no plans of action to, you know, act on these piece, on these proposals, on these things, these deals. And then when all is said and done, when we've sat there for hours and achieved literally nothing but talking at each other, then we're going to agree to have more talks because we didn't get anything accomplished this time around. It's the dumbest thing that you will ever witness once you understand how diplomacy actually works. And again, I'm not saying that I'm from some fucking genius. I'm not saying I'm some fucking genius. But come on now, if I can get this down from the comfort of my bedroom using publicly available information and publicly available history, then certainly people in the government who get paid to do this should be orders of magnitude better at it than I am. They should be fully capable of doing these things. It's really not hard. I don't speak Mandarin. They have translators. You should be able to go to the Chinese with a plan and go, hey, we want to do X, Y, and Z. We're going to do these things. And if we do these things, we want you to do uh, A, B, and C, right? And if the Chinese do A and B, but not C, you can go, okay, we've made some good progress. Now, what's holding you up on C? Why have you not done C? And if the Chinese list a reason that is reasonable, you say, okay, well, how can we get around that? It's you talk to one another and you listen to one another and then you find tangible physical real world actions that you can take to get around any problems that come up because there's going to be problems the world isn't perfect there's going to be problems with any plan but that's why you talk to each other that's the whole point of diplomacy it's it's, and that was just going to be all that i was talking about uh, and uh, I've ranted enough to, <laughs> to justify that. But that's not where this ended. That's not where this little story of ours ended. So now that I've completed my rant about uh, the problems with modern diplomacy, we go back to the story about Blinken meeting with Ching Gang, where they accomplished nothing but promised more talks. But then the next day, because I, I read in the article, this is before... Uh, uh, this was like yesterday when I was reading the article. It said that it's unclear if Blinken's going to meet with Xi Jinping before he leaves because he was leaving soon. And then he mates with Xi Jinping today on Monday. So uh, a glorious little nugget of information came out. And before he left China, Blinken did have a chance to meet with chairman, Chinese chairman Xi Jinping. And during that meeting, he had some very interesting words to say. He said, quote, and this is a video of him speaking. 
Quote, on Taiwan, I reiterated the long-standing U.S. one-China policy. That policy has not changed. It's guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, three joint communiques, the six assurances, uh, and I think he meant to say and the six assurances because he begins a new sentence after this, but then he says, we do not support Taiwan independence. We remain opposed to any unilateral changes to the status quo by either side. We continue to expect the peaceful resolution of cross-strait differences, end quote. Uh, I, I, I heard this and I was like, oh, oh my God, Blinken, Anthony Blinken, of all people, actually did something useful. He, he actually did his fucking job and he may have just saved us from a war in the process. Like I, I never thought I'd see the day. I'll be com I'll be completely honest with you. I had grown to expect that no matter how low my expectations got for this man, that he would somehow find a way n to disappoint. Like it, it, that, it's been the running gag it, uh, on this little podcast of mine, where every time we talk about Blinken, it's just some new humiliation, some new disappointment. No matter how low I set my expectations for this man. He finds a ladder so he can go lower, and it's like, oh my goodness, bro! It's just, just stop. Throw in the towel and put it down. <laughs> get your, get the, get your ass out of office. But then he does this, and I'm like, oh, well, now hold on, now, hold on, now. Maybe, maybe you, uh, maybe you stay right where you are, you know, because <laughs> he actually did something useful. Now, while others might light him up for saying what he just said and then they're going to call him weak they're going to call him bought and paid for by the ccp and yes i know it's the cpc you know it's not the chinese communist party it's the communist party of china but you know ccp has a better ring to it so i'll stick to it but i in an ironic twist am not lighting him up this episode i know it's it, the matrix is broken because <laughs> like let's go back to what he said on Taiwan, I reiterated the long-standing U.S. one-China policy. That policy has not changed. That, in and of itself, is a revolution as far as Washington is concerned. A diplomatic revolution as far as Washington is concerned. Because over the past few years, we've been increasingly leaning towards this... Uh, I've had much stronger words to say about this, but I'll just say stupid policy of being pro-Taiwan independence. We're going to we're going to support Taiwan. We're going to do this that and the third for Taiwan. We're going to help Taiwan defend themselves from China. We're we're going to protect Taiwan from China. If China invades Taiwan, United States is going to go to war with China even though we have no formal alliance with Taiwan, even though we don't recognize the, the government of Taiwan because we recognize the People's Republic of China per the one China policy. Oops. People really didn't want to accept that and they don't and they still don't want to accept that we sign on to the one China policy and that we formally recognize the People's Republic of China as the legitimate government of China, not the Republic of China, aka Taiwan. So it's again strange that Blinken saying what our stated position is on paper, the, the one that we legally agree to, it's strange that hearing him say it is somehow a revolution 
because nobody else was willing to enforce our legal position on the matter of Taiwan, which is that uh, they are not an independent country. As a matter of fact, we don't even recognize them as, as a sovereign entity. With, within China, we recognize them as a part of China and that the People's Republic of China is the, the one China that we recognize. That is our actual stated position. It, it, we used to be on the Taiwan side where Taiwan is the legitimate government and the People's Republic, they'd be illegitimate China. Then there's only one China. But ever since 1979 with Nixon and Kissinger, again, Kissinger understood diplomacy. We switched from recognizing the Republic of China to recognizing the People's Republic of China. Blinken has stated our actual policy, and he's correct when he says that this is the long-standing U.S. policy, and that that policy has not changed because it literally has not. You have words from officials saying that we're going to do things that are inconsistent with what we've already agreed to do per our being in the one China policy where we recognize the People's Republic, which is China. Like, it, it, it's a very strange situation. Again, I'll just say that. Because uh, what should be common sense is now blasphemy <laughs> because of internal developments in the United States and in American politics. I mean, you even have uh, that video from Vivek... Uh, uh, what's, his, what's his last name? Oh, goodness. Oh, God. Uh, Vivek Ramswamy, I think, I think I'll look that up. Uh, but yeah, he had this very fiery video where he's taught in two videos, actually, where he promises that we're going to come save Taiwan and that we're going to export the second amendment to Taiwan. And that's going to send a message to Xi Jinping. He, he ain't nothing. And it's like, oh, uh, well, okay, um, have fun with that. Uh, Ramaswamy, Vivek Ramaswamy, the presidential candidate currently polling at, well, who cares? Because <laughs> Trump's at 60-something percent. <laughs> but, yeah, main mainline presidential candidate, uh, and it's a bit strange to call the main line considering how low all of them are polling. But then again, that's the Trump effect. He sort of just sucks the oxygen at the room. And thank goodness for us that he does, because Trump isn't entertaining any of these crazy ideas. He's entertaining diplomacy and trade, things that we need to be focused on, which is why I'll be voting for him. Even if he, even if I have to vote for that man while he's in the while he's in a prison cell, I'll do it. We need him. We need him back. But Vivek Ramaswamy, as on multiple occasions, talked about using the United States military to protect Taiwan. Like, this is this hasn't been something campaigned on before. Like, it's it's been up there. It's been there. But now you have someone campaigning on this. This is one of their staple, staple issues in the campaign. We're gonna, what we're going to do for Taiwan. How are we going to respond to China on Taiwan? And he also, very interestingly enough, uh, is the closest to conceding my point regarding Taiwan, which is that if we were producing microchips ourselves, we wouldn't, there'd be no economic incentive for us to do so. In fact, we'd have more economic incentive to lead them to their own, to lead them to their own fate because they'd be a competitor to U.S. chip production. 
so in the event that the U.S. was self-sufficient in chip production, we wouldn't have uh, less to the point of negative economic incentive to come sail, save them and bail them out. Because if they go down and we're self-sufficient in chips, well, now we can eat up their market, their market share globally. Vivek has stated that so long as the United States is dependent on Taiwan, we need to protect Taiwan for the chips. Now, again, no one, no one bothers to bring up uh, all the other things that we import from China and the vast difference in volume and quantity and quality of goods uh, and the impact of those goods on the lives of everyday people. No one brings up uh, all the things that we get from China and when they make these arguments about how we need to protect the thing that we import from Taiwan, even if that means fighting a war with China for, no one applies that argument very consistently, but I'm not here to talk about consistency of other people's arguments for now. But he's a very interesting candidate in that regard. But again, his main line issue is Taiwan and America's relation with Taiwan. And he wants America to defend Taiwan, at least until we become self-sufficient in chips. Now he has said that he wants to stop supporting Taiwan in the event that we become self-sufficient. But he lay, but he at least lays out the precondition that so long as we are dependent on them, we should use everything, every tool we have in our inventory to defend them. That's going to get us into a war. That goes against our stated policy, which is the one China policy where we recognize the People's Republic of China. Nobody is saying we need to switch up uh, well, nobody in politics, uh, and I mean in office or running for office, is saying we need to switch the recognition from China to Taiwan in, as part of the one China policy so that our stated policy on China is actually reflective of what they're talking about. They just want to take the action without actually amending our stated position, which leaves us in a very interesting legal conundrum. But Blinken... He's, he's done the right thing. He actually did the right thing. And I never thought I'd see it. I never thought I applaud him for finally articulating what America's actual position on Taiwan is, as he's supposed to do as the Secretary of State. He's not supposed to go out there and reiterate opinions about what our stance is on Taiwan. He's supposed to lay out what our actual position is so that everyone knows what's going on and so that actions can be taken based on actual positions uh, he did his job he did his job he stated the actual position on taiwan instead of towing the line for these ideologues who want to get us into a war with china he didn't embarrass america he didn't say something incredibly stupid uh, that you'd have to see to believe he did his job and yeah blinken had a good day blinken had a good day and he may just have saved us from a war yet my goodness this segment was taken from my podcast this week in geopolitics i have new episodes every monday so if you like what you heard consider giving me a follow thanks for listening and hopefully i'll see you next time servus